last week we talked about the nature of conflict and how sins have come into this world and how our enemy, Satan, is trying to destroy us. But God came to bring peace and life. And it's my belief that God is ready to be a part of our life, to have, have his way in our life, to be a part of everything that we do. But he lets us choose to bring him into our world or not. You know, the key passage this morning I want to start with is in Genesis 50, verse 20. So I'm going to go ahead and give the ending away. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. When I think of a relationship with God, a lot of times I'll think of the picture of the Sistine Chapel where you have man reaching out for God and God reaching out for that relationship with his children. And I love that picture where there is that, that, that urgency of just wanting to be together. So the question this morning is, how do I bring God into my world? Isn't he already there? Isn't God already there? Do I need to bother God with everything? If I can handle the small things in my life, do I really need to bother God with those things? <laughs> Just like in any relationship, there has to be a sharing of the big and the important things in our life as well as the mundane, everyday things. How would your marriage or your friendships, or your parenting be if you only spoke to each other when something important came up, or that you thought, well, I guess I should get your advice here, or I should bring you in this conversation. I love hearing my children talk to me about everything. I love to hear about their days, what they did at recess, what were their highs, what were their lows. Even the stuff that they talk about nowadays that I don't understand. I love to hear that stuff. So Wednesday morning, I woke up. I started getting ready. I don't know if you've ever had these days, but I found myself just in a bad mood. I mean, I'm getting ready. And things that normally irritate me are just running through my mind. It is overtaking me. I can't, I just can't get rid of it. I, I, I feel this discontentment and complaining just washing over me as I'm thinking about all the things that are just bothering me. <laughs> I felt so gross and ashamed. And I knew, okay, this has to be an attack from Satan. He's trying to steal my joy. He's trying to steal my morning. He's trying to steal my day. In fact, if I would let him, he would destroy my life. However, as I'm getting ready, I kind of snap out of it. You know, it's morning time. You kind of throw a little water in the face. You kind of snap out. And I realize, okay, Lord, you've got to take this. You have to have this. Because I need my joy back. I also knew... It was Wednesday, and I needed to finish writing my sermon. And I didn't want any of that stuff in there. I didn't want negativity 
washing over me or in me as I'm trying to think, okay, I'm trying to listen to the Spirit, and I'm trying to figure out, God, what are you putting on my heart? What are you saying to me this week that needs to be communicated with the body of Christ here at Preston Crest? And I needed to hear the Spirit's voice, and so part of that was just getting Satan away, getting the negativity away. You know, sometimes I think it's easy just to let that bitterness continue, just to kind of soak it in. Or sometimes I've done this before where I'm like, oh man, I I don't like those thoughts. So I'm going to try to just get rid of those and just think happy thoughts. I'm going to think happy thoughts. That'll cancel out the negative thoughts. But really, if God is my God, he deserves to have every part of me. He deserves to take these thoughts from me and put in his thoughts. To have the mind of God instead of allowing this to wash over me. You know, it's like when my kids are upset or they're having a bad day, I want them to come to me because I want to bring them peace. I want to bring peace and love into those situations where they're not finding it. And I've learned over the years that my Christianity has to be a relationship between me and my Creator, my Savior. I want Him to be a part of every aspect of my life. Whether it's big or whether it's small, man, He just wants to be a part of our lives. For example, when I, so when I run or I work out, A lot of times I'll spend time praying. I'll pray for our congregation, things that are going on. I'll pray for friends. I'll pray for different things in my life. But I also spend a little time as I'm running or I'm working out, just thanking God. God, thank you that I can run today because that is a blessing. Or sometimes when I'm at the end of a run and I'm just, I'm in pain and I'm trying to get one last breath, I'm praying, God, just let me finish, right? Have you ever been there? But make no mistake, God wants a relationship with us. He wants the big things, and he wants the small things. One of the things we learn about Joseph in the story in Genesis is that there is a relationship with him and God. His father Jacob knows God. He has many encounters with the Lord, so I'm sure he's passed on this faith to his children. But the Lord also meets with Joseph, especially through dreams. God has given Joseph dreams, and that's how he chose to communicate with Joseph. I think sometimes God uses situations that come upon us in life to do incredible things out of things that we did not even see coming. However, I think there are also times that God is in and through all the plans from the beginning to the end to make sure that his will is done. And I think that's what we see in the, in the story of Joseph. But Joseph has this strong relationship with the Lord, and he submits to the providence of God throughout the entirety of his life. Remember, God's ultimate plan after the fall and sin enters the world is to bring salvation back to the world, to restore a relationship back with him. There was a broken relationship that he was trying to mend, trying to restore, to overcome sin and death. And he chose Israel also known as Jacob. He chose Israel to use his plan of salvation to bring the Savior, Jesus, through this nation. But he understands that a famine is coming, and he's got to save Israel. And so part of Joseph's plan 
with when God's plan in Joseph's life is to save Israel from what is coming so that ultimately he can set all people free from sin and death. Let's start in Genesis chapter 37, verse 1, if you want to turn in your Bibles. It says, So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the second account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bella and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. And Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his children, because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because his father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So see, we see Joseph is loved and he is blessed, but he's also hated by his brothers because Jacob loved Joseph more. And then the Lord gives Joseph dreams. As we read in verse 5, it says, One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream. He said, we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low to mine. It's a pretty good dream. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Later, Joseph would have another dream and tell his father about his whole family, even Jacob bowing low before him. (laughs) So the question becomes, why would Joseph, who knew he was hated by his brothers, share this dream? Some sources think Joseph was immature and arrogant, and that this was that kind of fueled his desire was his immaturity and maybe a little bit of his arrogance. You know, and sometimes in sibling rivalry, there is pride that wells up and causes division. However, when we look at the entire story and what God is doing, sometimes we have to think, okay, God, you know. And we have to trust in the providence of God. And maybe the Lord put on Joseph his heart to share these dreams, maybe not out of arrogance, but to push his brothers over the edge to be able to do what needed to be done to get Joseph where he ultimately needed to be to save all these people. So Joseph is the favorite. He has a special robe to prove it. Then he's over his brothers because, as it said, um, he was the one to go check on them and bring back reports, and sometimes the reports weren't so good. So just like usual, Joseph is sent out to check on his brothers. Except this time, when they see him coming, they say, let's get rid of him for good. Here comes that dreamer. They're going to kill him. But Reuben steps in. He's the oldest, and he says, wait, wait, let's don't get blood on our hands. Here's a cistern. Let's put him down in the cistern that's too too far down for him to get out, and he'll kind of just die. But let's don't get blood on our hands. And see, what Reuben was trying to do is when his brothers and he left, he was going to come back and save him. So they grab Joseph and they take off his robe and they put him down in this cistern. 
And Reuben, for some reason, takes off. He goes somewhere. He doesn't say where. He just goes somewhere. So while he's gone, Judah decides, he sees these Ishmaelite traders come by, and he decides, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. We might as well get something for him, right? So let's sell him. So if you're Joseph, at this point, you're down in this hole, and you've got to be thinking, what is going on? Am I not the chosen one? Am I not the most loved by my father? Do I not have a special relationship with the Lord? I mean, he speaks to me in dreams. In fact, so much for my brothers bowing down to me now. I'm in this hole. And now they've made me a slave. But the first part of bringing God into our world is to trust God. To be still and know that he is God. See, all Joseph can do at this point is to hold on and trust that God is still at work in his life. To not give up and to know that he is chosen, that God does have a plan. They say the hardest part of a run is the first few steps. It's because that's when you choose to do it. That you're all in and you're invested. Joseph does not know what is going to happen. The fleshly desire would be, let's just give up. It's too hard. Can you imagine how scared he must feel right now? The hard part is, if you grew up in church, you heard this story probably a lot, right? And sometimes when we hear a story over and over again, or that we read through the Bible quickly, sometimes you, we, we don't get to stop and think, I wonder what he's feeling. When he was going to be killed by his brothers, but instead he's sold into slavery. What does that feel like? What kind of pain must he be in right now? Have you ever wondered, why is this happening to me? Where is God when I need him? Why would he let this happen? And what I think we'll see with Joseph is there was a relationship already there with with he and God. And it didn't just stop when the bad things started. He held on to God even more and probably spoke to him a lot more and listened even more. I love Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who I believe did not choose the life that he led, but he was called by the Lord to make a difference in our world. He says this, listen to these words, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. You see, our circumstances, uh, we can choose to blame others we can choose to become bitter or we can wait on the lord we can be still and know that god is god and wait for him to move but as we see in the story of joseph that's this doesn't mean that we sit around and do nothing but we do the work that's given to us to glorify god to wait for him to move but while we're waiting we're working to give him glory back and then let's pick up in genesis 39 1 says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was a captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So at this exact moment, we may not know what's going on here. However, Joseph is being placed in a home of royalty. I would imagine at 17, as we see in this story, he's probably, he's very handsome. He's a well-built man, as scripture says. So he was probably a very expensive slave. 
So he's bought by this Egyptian officer. Uh, in fact, he's the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. But do we really read this story and just think, oh, well, that, what a coincidence, right? What a coincidence. He's, he's being put in a royal home where, where he's going to learn, he's going to be around a lot of important and powerful people, and he's going to learn how to speak with the, with the people that have a lot of authority, that he's going to know how, to, how they think and how they act so that when God calls him into Pharaoh's court, he'll know what to do. Because you can imagine being amongst the royalty of Egypt is probably a lot different than tending sheep in a pasture. Let's keep reading in chapter 39, verse 2. It says, The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this, and he realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for the Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph, there was nothing that he worried about except what kind of food to eat. See, Joseph is holding on to the Lord. He's remaining faithful to God, and the Lord is just blessing this situation, preparing him for the task that he has called him to ahead. He's causing him to gain favor. And it's interesting because Joseph could have been mad. He could have just given up and decided, this is not the life that I chose. I'm just going to do what I have to do just to get by. I'll do enough to stay out of trouble and just get by. But another part of bringing God into our world is the fear of the Lord. We have to fear God. Joseph decided that God is God. That he didn't choose these circumstances, but he's going to work at it with all he has because God is God, and God's not done with him yet. Then we get into another conflict. <laughs> if it's not bad enough that his dad chose him to be the favorite, that he gave him this robe that made him stick out to his brothers, then he got sold into slavery. There's one other problem about Joseph. God just made him a little too good looking. Maybe some of you guys have that problem. I've never had that problem. Never had to worry about that. But let's just keep on reading in verse 6, the back part of verse 6. It says, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Uh-oh. What is Joseph going to do? Does he give in or does he fear the Lord? Let's keep reading in verse 8. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? And it would be a great sin against God. You know, for Joseph, it's not that it just would be wrong or that he didn't want to do it, but ultimately it would be a sin against God. No one is around. I mean, who would have known? But our character is really shown when we are tempted when no one else is around. Who are you when no one else is looking? Do I fear God more than my earthly desires and temptations? We must fear God out of love, not love him out of fear. And that is a, 
that's a phrase from St. Francis de Salas, something he said. He said, we must fear God out of love, not love him out of fear. I love that when you think about that. Solomon says in Proverbs 9, 10, he says, Fear the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. I would say Joseph showed great fear and wisdom. So, of course, he's rewarded, right? No. Potiphar's wife is outraged and embarrassed and says he tried to take advantage of her, so Potiphar has him thrown in the royal prison. But catch this, Joseph, because he's in the home of a royal officer, is not put in just an ordinary prison. He is put in a royal prison. This puts him one step closer to where God is wanting him to ultimately be. Of course, if you're Joseph, you're not thinking, oh good, this is one step closer. He's thinking, what in the world is going on? You can imagine, he's thinking, what are you doing, Lord? But he doesn't stop because he knows that God is not finished with him. He decides there is more. And I think in our lives, we have to decide that too. Joseph believed in what God had showed him when he was 17, that he had great plans for him. He didn't know what he was, what he was about to do, but he knew that God had not forgotten him. How do we know this? Let's keep reading verse 21. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him kindness. He gave him favor in the eyes of the man who watched over the prison. The head of the prison put all the men who were in prison into Joseph's care. So whatever was done there was because of Joseph. The head of the prison did not worry about anything under Joseph's care. That sounds familiar. Because the Lord was with him. The Lord made all go well with whatever Joseph did. Then Joseph meets two characters in prison, Pharaoh's baker and his cupbearer. They were both upset one day, and Joseph, again, he could have been like, I'm, I didn't choose to be here. I don't want to be here. I'm just going to do enough to get by. I don't know if it was that Joseph was led by the Spirit or just his deep concern for the prisoners there, his deep concern for people, his love for people. But he sees them in distress, and he says, what's going on? What's going on? And they tell, they tell him about this dream. They said, can you interpret it? And I love in Genesis chapter 40, verse 8, Joseph's response is this. Interpreting dreams is God's business. So who gets the glory in this story? God does. Everything Joseph does is pointing towards God. Joseph listens to these dreams and he tells the cupbearer that in three days you're going to be restored back to your position with the king. And with the baker, he says, three days again for you, but you're going to be impaled on a pole. He asked the cupbearer to remember him. So you can imagine, three days later, the cupbearer is restored and the baker is, is executed. And the cupbearer then, you can imagine, I mean, he's so excited. He probably goes in and tells Pharaoh, hey, I knew this because there was a guy in prison named Joseph. And he said that he was going to do this, so we need to set him free. And so Pharaoh sets him free, right? No. Let's keep reading in the story. It says, two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. How many years? Two full years later. But did Joseph give up? No. Because what did he know? He knew that there was more. God was not done with him. Maybe this morning, 
you need to hear that. Maybe with things going on in your life, you need to hear, there is more. God is not done with you. He's got great plans for your life. (laughs) So I'm sitting in the dugout. Well, I'm standing in the dugout, and I'm pacing. And I'm just thinking, what are we going to do? What is going on? As I look, and a kid takes strike three looking. There's nothing drive a coach crazier than that. I'm like, the pitch was right there. Swing the bat. You got a bat. Swing the bat. And I'm getting so worked up, and I'm getting so upset. I'm like, I mean, we're already down two to nothing. It's in the first inning. We have one out. What are we going to do? And I watched my other coach who's sitting there, and he brings the boy back and coaches him, calms him down, sends him back down. All right, let's go, boys. And it reminded me at that point, I can't live and die with every pitch. I can't live and die with every play. There's more game to play. It's the first inning. I'm going to have a heart attack by the fourth inning if I don't stop. And I think in life, it's hard sometimes to remember that. That as long as I'm living and breathing and God is using me, that there is more of life to live. There's more of life for God to do great things through me. But we have to remember, God's not done. There is more. And that's what Joseph remembers. And then he's pulled out of prison because Pharaoh has this dream. And he has this dream of of seven healthy cows coming out of the Nile, followed by seven unhealthy cows. But still, they ate these healthy cows, but they still look scrawny. And then you had these seven healthy grains of of wheat come out of of the Nile that are yeah grain that came out of the Nile and then seven unhealthy heads of grain came out of the Nile and they swallowed up the healthy ones so Pharaoh what could this mean what is going on he asked all the wise men in Egypt they couldn't tell him what was going on and then the cupbearer goes oh yeah two years ago on your birthday when you restored me there was a guy in prison that could interpret dreams Now, we could be mad at the cupbearer for this, right? Or we could realize that God is at work, and this is God's timing. Joseph is called in. So he gets cleaned up because he knows from his days at Potiphar's house how he's got to look, how he's got to act, how he's got to talk. So he's prepared, he's ready. So when he comes in to the royal court and addresses Pharaoh, he's not overwhelmed with the situation. And Pharaoh asked Joseph in, in Genesis 41, 16, if he can interpret the dreams. And Joseph says this, It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Pharaoh tells Joseph these dreams, and Joseph reveals that, that God is going to send seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of the worst famine and drought imaginable. And so Pharaoh says in in verse 38, he says, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of these dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on the throne will have a rank higher than yours. So Joseph is now second in command. He's given a wife And they have two children, and both their children's names, Manasseh and Ephraim, 
remind him that God has not forgotten him, that God has taken away his sorrows, and that God has made him fruitful. I love that because everything is going back, giving glory to God. So then Joseph goes in prepare mode, right? He gets, during the seven years of plenty, he stores away grain so that they'll have food during the famine. So when that famine hits, all of a sudden, Egypt is the only one around that has food. So guess who comes begging? That's right, it's revenge time, right? Jacob sends 10 of Joseph's brothers to Egypt to get food. So guess who has all the power to save them or make them starve? It's Joseph. So Joseph, of course, takes this authority and and uses it to kick them out of the court and tells them to starve, right? No. No. Now, he does treat them harshly, and he does keep Simeon in prison so that they would have to return. All the while, he's trying to figure out, have my brothers changed? Are their hearts different? Or are they the same scoundrels that that sold me into slavery? In fact, Joseph sends nine of them back with food and all the money that would have bought the food. So it cost them nothing. But when they ran out of food again, Jacob had to send his brothers back. But this time he had to send Benjamin to much to his dismay, who was the youngest and now the new favorite. It was Joseph's actual brother, full brother. And when they returned to Egypt, Joseph had one final test to see if his brother's hearts had changed. And he put his silver cup and he hid it in Benjamin's sack, which meant imprisonment for Benjamin. So when they rode off, the guards went and caught them and searched their bags and found Joseph's cup and Benjamin's sack. And their brothers tore their robes. They were upset. And Judah, the one whose idea was to sell his brother, comes back to Joseph and says, I will trade my life for Benjamin's. I would say they've changed. I would say they've changed. And Joseph here could have taken revenge, but instead he weeps, and in Genesis 45, 5, he says this, but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve lives. Man. So our final takeaway this morning has to be For us to bring God into our world is to say, God, your will be done, not mine. Your will, God, not mine, be done. So Joseph finally gets reunited with his entire family as he brings them to to Egypt. And God continues to fulfill his promise he made through Abraham all those years ago of making him into a great nation, making his name great and blessing others through him. You know, God's timing and God's ways are not our ways. Sometimes what we have in mind or what we would think would be ideal for our life is not what God has planned because a lot of times my plans are too nearsighted and too small for what God has planned. God wants to use us to bless others. Sometimes that involves our discomfort. Sometimes it involves our disappointments or our failures. But just like Joseph, if we can remember that God is in control, And that in the end, he wins, right? We know the end of the story. Jesus conquered death. He conquered sin. We know the end of the story. He wins. If we remember that, then we know that we win in the end. As I did a funeral yesterday for a dear friend, his mom passed away. 
we were able to, I was able to stand up there and say, she's victorious. She's not here. Death got her. But in the end, death doesn't win. Sin didn't win because she claimed Jesus Lord and Savior. And in the end, she wins because he won. In fact, after Jacob dies, his brothers feared the worst, right? They still didn't understand that Joseph saw beyond his trials and saw what God was doing. And let's, let's conclude with Genesis 50, 20. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. So this morning, bring God into your world. Trust God. You'll need to be still and know that he is God. Tell him everything. Fear the Lord above all other things. Understand that there is more. God is not done with you yet. And finally, tell God that his will be done, not yours. In fact, there's a popular saying right now in the sports world, coined by Joel Embiid. He says, trust the process. What he's saying is, it may not look good right now. It may not have looked good for a long time, but trust the process. God is a loving God. In fact, you have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who understands. The task was too much for him when he was in the garden. He wept and he hurt because he knew his life was going to the cross. But he, in the end, he submitted to God. He said, not my will, but your will, Father, be done. Like John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This morning, bring God into your world. Bring him into your conflicts. Let him have his way in your life. If you need to come down and let us pray over you or find someone right next to you to pray with, for God to give you strength and peace to have his way in your life, then don't wait. Do it this morning. If you need to give your life to Christ and live for a greater purpose and receive the Spirit through baptism so you can know the will of God, then come forward now as we stand and sing.